the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, I've been waiting for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021 at 10 a.m. Eastern so I can see my man Ken Flo after UFC 257. But when it's like 34 hours door to door, this is kind of the best we can do. You know, we're going to have Ken Flo and Cody be burning it after the pay-per-view to get this in the can. So sorry for the delay, but it's good to see you, kid. Where are you? What's going on? New room or what? Uh, same room, different right. location. Right. Uh, yeah, man. Listen, it's good to see you, dude. Uh, what what a weekend. And um, I, I, I'm just surprised that uh, you're half alive here after that long flight, man. I've done that flight. It's it's no fun going to Abu Dhabi. That flight's brutal, dude. Even, so, if, you're, even if you're in business class. Well, no doubt about it, right? So it's 1555 on the way home from Abu Dhabi to Vegas, right? Yeah. And it's a created flight in this COVID-19 yeah. climate. And then... Uh, Got your four-hour layover Vegas airport. You bang it to Atlanta, pound some fried chicken, another layover there. You experience a little Southern hospitality and uh, another metal tube to West Palm Beach. Uh, got a couple kids home with colds today, so we rush in the sitter to get the podcast here for you because, I mean, we have priorities. And this is uh, this is episode 285, and it's a goddamn priority. So. And we should probably talk about the backdrop that, uh, you know, you're also on Abu Dhabi time right now or somewhere in between, and I'll fucked up. Well, it's like I woke up and I just wanted to like eat like dinner and it was like 730 a.m. You can probably tell a little swollen today. So yeah. that's what I did. I ate dinner. And uh, so there's so much to get to. I feel like we're already chasing the clock. But uh, what a trip. What a week. I'm quite certain I'm going to forget some stuff. I do have a few notes written down. I got things like calf kicks on my sheet that I'll make sure that we get to. Uh, so let us start with the uncrowned UFC lightweight champion, Dustin Poirier. 19 UFC wins. Uh and don't tell me the interim lightweight title victory over Max Holloway is the biggest win of his career, Ken Flo. Don't even do it to me. You know, nobody had knocked out Conor McGregor like this. And uh, what a huge win in a career full of them for uh, for a good dude, Dustin Poirier. You know, I, I think that Dustin mo- most likely will only have a couple more fights, not because he can't do it, but because um, I think he kind of envisioned this life for himself where he started mixed martial arts very early. OK, he was fighting when he was a teenager. Uh, actually right. fighting when he was a teenager. And I think he wanted to make a certain amount of money and make a name for himself and create this legacy for himself where he could then leave a little bit earlier than your typical mixed martial arts fighter. Yeah. That's the way to do it. And this fight summarizes who Dustin Poirier is as a fighter and as a man. This is a guy who could take a lot of punishment can, can and can come back from it and then destroy you. That's who Dustin Poirier is. So it is a game of inches in a lot of respects. You know, one of those Conor McGregor shoulders to the nose could have absolutely shattered Dustin's nose and thereby changed the complexion of the fight. And and there was some good in here for Conor McGregor. But let us start 
for with what I believe was the biggest part and factor of this fight. Southpaw versus Southpaw, the calf kicks inside and outside from Dustin Poirier. Mike Brown thought this would be a huge factor in the fight. There's another side to this. Phil Sutcliffe, John Kavanaugh, the McGregor team not preparing their athlete at all for this type of scenario, seemingly. Uh, and I'm not even sure how you do that, Kemflo. But let us at least start with American top team. And, uh, you know, Dan Lambert, right? You get what you pay for, man. He pays these coaches a lot of money. They do a damn good job. They watch a lot of film. Mike Brown felt like the calf kick was going to be a huge key to victory uh, if it wasn't going to be the gas tank. And uh, what do you have for us on that, my brother? There is so much uh, to unpack, John. But I would say this, you know, and, and Connor alluded to this. You look at six years, six years have passed, okay, since both of those guys uh, fought each other. And you look at how many times Dustin Poirier has, uh, Poirier has stayed active compared to how many times Conor McGregor has stayed active. And that activity matters. And it matters especially when you talk about the level of fighter that they've both competed with over the years. Dustin Poirier, you, you can look at the wins and the losses. Erase all of that shit. It's all experience and it's all knowledge. And Dustin Poirier has made the best out of that experience and has brought that into that fight against Conor McGregor. And Conor just simply hasn't faced a, a, a good calf kick before. Uh, and that compromised him. You know, you go back to, you know, uh, the, some of the classic boxing fights where, you know, Meldrick Taylor was really no, well known for his movement and his speed. And Julio Cesar Chavez was getting outboxed for the majority of that fight. The problem was he kept landing a lot of body shots on Meldrick Taylor in that first fight. And that weakened, weakened him. And at the very end, Julio Cesar Chavez was able to knock him out. When you can stop a fighter who has good movement and you take that out of the picture, well, then you just even the odds significantly, especially when you're a power puncher like a Dustin Poirier who can really, uh, you know, pop you up and hurt you like he did against Max Holloway, another very good boxer. So, you know, the calf kick really was crucial to the success of this fight. It was a brilliant adjustment. It was a brilliant part of the game plan. Uh, and once he landed those shots on, on uh, Connor, uh, he basically just won the fight. I mean, he was completely compromised. So I don't think Connor pl uh, planned for that. I think that his team overlooked that aspect of the fight. And if I can go in a little bit further, John, you know, when you have a wide stance, you're able to create a lot of power from the floor. It allows you to push off the floor to create power. Like when they say, sit down on your punches, they're telling you that to get low so you can create power from the floor. The problem with it, it adds stability but takes away mobility. You can't move very well when you're in that stance because all of your weight is on your feet, especially that lead leg. That's what Dustin Poirier really took advantage of, and Conor McGregor didn't take into consideration. So how do you handicap a rematch, and how do you quantify or think about what Conor and his camp would do to prepare, right? Like, I had Paul Felder give me one of these things at, like, 30% so I could feel it. And mm. one part of me, journalistically, would ask, how can you prepare for a mixed martial arts contest against a fellow striker in 2021 without having an elongated conversation about calf kicks and how to deal with them? Yeah, listen, I think that um, it, it's I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say it's a simple adjustment, but it's an adjustment that can definitely be made. Um, and, uh, you know, the calf kick has been a problem for a lot of fighters, a lot of high level guys. Um, but I do think it's, it's something that can be rectified uh, relatively easy. I, I think it's going to take some timing and some sparring and some knowledge and some information that he needs. He's going to have to adjust his stance. He's going to have to. Uh, look at it differently. The way that you uh, approach it and the way that you defend it isn't necessarily by raising your leg and checking it like a traditional tie kick, 
Um, I'd love to break it down at some point and do a technique on it. Um, but it goes it goes beyond just going out there and trying to block it because if you block it now, it actually can work as a sweep and you can actually take the guy down if he lifts his leg up. You're on one leg and can be swept off your feet. So um, it, it's something that can definitely be rectified. Uh, I do think a, a, a fighter of the quality of Connor can make those adjustments. But at the same time, you know, when I'm explaining these things, people think like, oh, you're making an excuse for for uh, for Connor or why he lost. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah, he, no. he, he made the wrong approach. Dustin fought the better fight. Dustin won that damn fight. Uh, it, it's as simple as that. Oh, yeah. This is a live radio show, right? We're eight minutes in. We have not uh, even begun to give Dustin Poirier a lot of love, but the conversation just went here. Does genetics have anything to do with it? I mean, you and Paul Felder got these fucking meaty caps, right? I mean, I don't know how else to put it, right? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it, it does stand to reason that some people are, are better equipped to take more of these in a fight. I mean, you hear people repeatedly say all it takes is one, and you see a lot of people doing unorthodox tactics on Instagram to try to strengthen uh, their shins and other parts of their body. But, uh, Kenny, this is a real, real factor, and uh, I don't know. It, it, would genetics play a role at all in terms of one's ability to take one or two or several of these? I think it's possible. It, it, it's certainly possible. I, I will say this. You know, it's never a good thing um, as a human to, to, to assume that you're going to be able to take a certain amount of damage. Yeah. Um, the best way to address it is. Don't right. Just, don't don't yes. take those fucking shots. Yes, like, you exactly. Know? So, well, yeah. like when we talk about, you know, Conan Silvera in terms of preparing an athlete to face Khabib Nurmagomedov, forget about what you want to do offensively. The whole fight is about not letting him in on your leg. Right. And right. then you can build off of that. But you have exactly. To. All right. See, I've learned a thing or two. I take notes when I was talking. <laughs> and obviously, Southpaw versus Southpaw, it's, uh, Exactly. It was an issue, particularly because it's the rear leg that's doing the damage. That's where all the power is coming from. You have the space and the momentum and the power for that power leg or, or that back leg uh, to land uh, with a tremendous amount of force. So um, that was that was going to be a problem for Connor. Uh, and uh, I think Dustin exploited it beautifully. So I don't usually watch the post-fight press conference. I watched the entire 80-minute presser because I was packing my suitcase in Abu Dhabi at whatever hour of the morning. And I just thought it was so good from Poirier McGregor and Michael Chandler. And I would encourage everybody to go check that out because uh, especially what Connor had to say about the fight because he's very forthcoming in terms yeah. of uh, how it went down and maybe why he thought it went down. So in terms of Dustin Poirier, I still don't believe there's enough respect on this man's name for the UFC body of work. I do think with respect to my friend, Michael Chandler, you can understand why Dustin with 19 UFC wins doesn't believe that he should fight for the title, even if it's his undisputed title being put on the line against somebody with one UFC win. And uh, I understand why Dustin feels that way. But to me, Kenny, he really is the uncrowned champion. Khabib Nurmagomedov is seemingly going to step away, vacate perhaps. I don't know if that's the right verb, but Khabib wanted to be impressed. And Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler impressed the hell out of everybody in the mixed martial arts space. So if Khabib is going to walk away, I don't know how you do a Connor Dustin trilogy unless you at least belt Dustin first. Your thoughts? Listen, I agree. Uh, a couple things. You know, it's tough to give it give someone the belt after they already fought. That's the only I know. problem. I know. I, I think if Dana, you know, and and I think Dana had the idea that Khabib wasn't going to fight. Right? I, I, listen, I I don't think he's going to come back at this point. You have that meeting. You look into a guy's eyes. 
again, far removed from his last fight. You have to imagine Dana knew that Habib wasn't going to compete. So I, I think there was a mistake there in not giving the belt, but I, I'm not a promoter. I, you know, that's what he does uh, best. But um, I think they should have made that Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier fight for the belt, even though it was a little bit late in the game. But okay. So let's take all those guys that you took into consideration. Michael Chandler coming over from Bellator. He's had one fight. It was extremely impressive. I could see where Dustin's coming from. You got Gaethje, okay? Uh, you got uh, Holloway. You talked about Holloway that day. Uh, Dustin Poirier has beaten both of those guys. The only guy who really remains of interest that could potentially uh, make it a title fight if you want to uh, jump the gun and, and, and kind of skip over Conor McGregor would be a Charles Oliveira, right? I, I think that would be an interesting fight for sure. However, if you're Dustin Poirier, you want to make as much money as possible, baby, yeah. right? And right. the Conor McGregor fight is the fight, and I think that's what people would, would most want to see. I think that's what Conor McGregor uh, wants for, for it to happen. I think the UFC wants for that to happen. So I think that's the fight that should be made next. Uh, and then perhaps Charles Oliveira fights the winner of that. So or there are maybe three... Charles Chandler and Oliveira, maybe. Who knows? Right. There are three names on the tip of Dustin Poirier's tongue, and uh, likely in this order. Uh, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, Charles Oliveira. So the Conor McGregor fight makes a whole lot of sense as a trilogy. And uh, as I said, as long as Dustin was given the belt, however awkward a circumstance that is, Kenny, I think you can certainly make a case right now for Conor to, to fight for the undisputed title in a trilogy uh, based upon all that he has done. Nathan Diaz, I think, is maybe a tough sell for people for the undisputed championship. But again, on any given Saturday night, you know he's going to be in shape. You know it'll be a championship training camp. And uh, money talks. Everybody wants to see him. So I think there's some steam there. That fight was booked for UFC 230. But Charles Oliveira in a meritocracy. That's why Dustin mentions that name, because that win would really mean a whole lot to upend him at the end of this eight fight winning streak. So we'll see how they choose to proceed. Uh, but I think it's going to be hard to get Poirier to the immediate table in any sort of time frame right now, unless uh, you start talking about the belt first, because you're right, Kenny, about the money. There's no doubt about it. And uh, this was obviously a big payday for him this past Saturday night. But there really is one thing left to do. And that's to be able to walk around for the rest of your life and say at one point in time, you were the undisputed best 155 pound fighter in the world. And he doesn't believe he can say that right now. I agree with you on that, John. I would say this. I mean, <clears throat> what has made Nate Diaz is not a belt. What has made Nate Diaz is wins over the biggest names in the sport, like Conor McGregor. Uh, and the fact that he's got millions of dollars in the bank. Right. I mean, at, yep. at the end of the day, because there's many champions uh, out there, former champions that now maybe have not a whole lot to their name. So I think Dustin has has established a strong legacy, and um, I think he wants to continue to build um, now some kind of wealth for himself and his family. Um, absolutely, a championship belt would be huge. He's already interim champion. I do yeah. agree with you there. That would that yeah. would just kind of be the cherry on top. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think he can get both. To be honest, I think he can get both the money and the belt, and uh, what, what better way to exit the, the, the game than that? Last thing I'll say on that, it just kind of seems like semantics, right? If all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later, two months later, Habib vacates, had he done so prior, then Dustin would already be the undisputed champion, you know, which I know is, is really important to him. Uh, in terms of Poirier, the skill, Kenny, and the coachability and everything else, Mike Brown said to us in our fighter meeting that he believes Dustin's best weapon is his gas tank, but in order to get the fight, to a position for you to take advantage of your biggest strength, you have to extend him, right? The gas tank didn't necessarily 
become a factor in the fight. I mean, it's always a factor, but he's got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt that he never even seems to have to lean on. He has tremendous chokes. He's really an ambidextrous fighter in terms of the power in uh, both legs and both hands. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of fitting that he has this capstone and this signature win to be the first man to knock out Conor McGregor like this in the UFC uh, because people just don't appreciate the skills enough for me. And uh, maybe this will help. Versatility is perhaps the biggest strength of any fighter, John, because if you are getting beat in one area, right, I'm going to go, okay, you want to make it a boxing match, Connor? Let's make it a kickboxing match. Oh, you want to make it a kickboxing match? I'm going to make it a wrestling match. Oh, you want to make it a wrestling match? I'm going to make it a jiu-jitsu match. And when you're able to go to all those different domains, and if you can do it better than the other person, guess what? Nine out of ten times, you should be able to win that fight. And that's what defined Dustin Poirier here as well, is that he was the more versatile fighter, both in the skills that we've seen in the past and what he showed in the fight. Because Conor McGregor is a versatile striker as well. But for some reason, he decided it was best for him to approach it from a boxing standpoint. And that hurt him, period. And, and you know, Conor has shown that low stance, that creeping stance before, but there weren't other people that were really able to expose it. Dustin Poirier was able to expose it. And because of that, if Connor wants a third fight against Dustin Poirier, he's going to have to change the way he approaches and the way that he creeps in or uh, faints his way into someone like Dustin Poirier. Good stuff, Ken Flo. Congrats to Parker's dad, Dustin Poirier, to Joe Lee, to American top team, Mike Brown, Daya Davis. Tiago Alves, everybody, Mosfidal, everybody that helped him prepare. Just a really good dude. You got to feel happy for him. And uh, I will say about Conor McGregor, just so gracious and open all week and generous with his time and his attitude and had so many nice things to say. And uh, I don't know, man, he was just a pleasure to be around. And I do believe he cares about his mixed martial arts legacy deeply, Kenny. And that's why he's back. You know, every time he fights, he puts his legacy in some respects on the line. And now he's one and two at 155 pounds in the UFC. But with seemingly a billion dollars in the bank, he's coming and cutting weight because he he wants to prove that uh, he is not just the first simultaneous double champion, but one of the greatest mixed martial arts athletes of all time. I agree with you. And listen, I, I think he put, he put a lot into this camp. I think he put a lot into uh, the effort. Um, I, I just think that this was a Dustin Poirier that was much better prepared. You brought up all these names. Can we just compound all of that knowledge and information oh, for a second man. and put that in the context that is a huge advantage all those training partners um you know as good as custom as, as, as sorry as, as good as conor mcgregor is and all of his coaches they don't have that level of experience full stop right no doubt about it full fucking stop you like that cody I mean, that sounds millennial to me full stop i mean i would never say that 42 years old uh, all right so in terms of the matchups, you touched on it briefly, but I think for Poirier, it's pretty clear. Uh, he's going to be enticed with that undisputed crown, uh, a Connor trilogy, Nate Diaz or Charles Oliveira. Justin Gaethje is the number one contender. Seems like some steam for him to, uh, to fight Michael Chandler, if not coach opposite that guy on the ultimate fighter. So let us get to, uh, another representative of the United States of America, iron Michael Chandler, Ken Flo, with a most memorable UFC debut. Biggest pressure spot of his career, biggest career opportunity, despite the major titles mantled at home and literally felt no pressure, was loose the entire time, has never been looser before a fight. His corner was thinking maybe too loose, not too loose. Dan Hooker froze a little bit, but all hail Michael Chandler here on a Tuesday morning. What do you got? Yeah, listen, I think that for Chandler, um, 
I, I was so happy to see a patient Michael Chandler. He was waiting for the right time to get in. He wasn't forcing the issue. He wasn't forcing the knockout. It just came. And, and that's what I was concerned with in Chandler. I said, oh, guy's so aggressive. And sometimes I see um, guys from his camp overly aggressive. And because they want to do a certain thing, they expose themselves. That was not the case here. Um, and conversely, you, know, you look at Dan Hooker. To me, you know, he got the idea that he needed to move around. Cool. Great. But I didn't see anything after that. You know, it was almost like he was going to stop, throw a shot, and see what happens. There was no, um, inf- there was no like understanding of the fact that he is the longer guy, that he's the rangier guy, and he's going to have to use those longer, rangier weapons against Chandler. He'd kind of just stop, throw, and start moving again. And I think an athlete like a Chandler, a guy who has that kind of experience, he was going to time you eventually. Brilliant stuff from Chandler. It was good to see him go in there pretty patient and uh, landed that big shot, man. That's That's how he was going to win, and it seemed like Hooker wasn't quite prepared for that. All right, not making excuses for Dan Hooker, and I will get back to Michael Chandler. I'm not sure how much time he had to prepare. I know the circumstances in a lot of respects Mm. were not ideal. Eugene Behrman, head coach, City Kickboxing, your two-time coach of the year here on the Anakin Florian podcast, was not there in his corner. But, Ken Flo, put yourself in Dan Hooker's shoes, okay? You have to fight January 23rd in Abu Dhabi, and then you can't see your daughter until February 21st at the earliest because of quarantine restrictions in your native country. So there's enough pressure on you guys to begin with to win the fight. But the whole thought of of losing a fight, heaven forbid, spectacularly by first-round knockout, and then not being able to go home for an entire month, it fucks with your head, man. And I'm truly not trying to take anything away from Michael Chandler, but best of luck dealing with that circumstance. And if you think with all the time in quarantine and all the time on Fight Island that you don't have time to think about that, uh, then then you're ignorant. Sorry, but, you know. But there is a preparation of the mind for a certain fight. And if your mind isn't right and, and it's getting kind of pulled in a lot of different directions, then you're going to be in big trouble and you're not going to be ready on fight night, period. For Dan Hooker, I think he'll be back. You know, I wouldn't read too much into him taking the gloves off. I did go up to him at breakfast, and uh, he kind of shucked that off a little bit. So I think he will be back. But, uh, you know, I think there is some argument that he was softened up a little bit by Dustin Poirier and Paul Felder over those grueling 50 minutes, all told, uh, earlier in 2020. But uh, for Michael Chandler, I mean, you can't draw it up any better. I mean, the way he handled free agency – the way he handled himself throughout this fight week, throughout the UFC 254 fight week back in October. I mean, the guy's just dripping with class. Such a good dude. You know, I'm not a pro wrestling guy. Like, for me, I'm not necessarily one for WWE-style promos or things that are memorized, but he absolutely nailed it, right? I mean, he really did nail it, and I thought capitalized on that moment as best he could. But he's so articulate and so good in those settings that I don't even know that he needs to, you know, come up with the whole bit. But uh, just a humongous weekend for Michael Chandler. And, uh, you know, to me, it's title eliminator for him and then probably a title shot. Dude, let, let me, let, let's talk about pressure, right? I mean, there was a lot of pressure on Chandler heading into this fight. No doubt. His first fight in the UFC, being a former champion in the other division. Uh, you know, and all eyes were on him. And man, did he step up at the right time. He showed up and really shunned. All right. So in terms of Michael Chandler's future, maybe it'll be Justin Gaethje. Uh, I know he wants that 29 in Chandler and that could be fighting the worst way, but uh, we'll see how it plays out for him. But it's nice to have him in the mix and uh, professional athlete, man. I mean, those are the words that come to mind for me. 
guy's a tremendous, tremendous athlete. And uh, on any given Saturday night, you got to be real careful taking anything that's coming his way. And Henry Hoof deserves a lot of credit. As I said on the broadcast, Dominic Cruz felt like this was stylistically as hard a matchup as Chandler could have in the top 10. But he felt like if there was any striking coach that uh, could get him ready for it, it was uh, it was Henry Hoof. All right. So I told you about the post fight press conference. Honestly, go to the UFC's YouTube channel and watch it. But we have some Michael Chandler sound for you because there seems to be this circumstance in mixed martial arts when uh, when a fighter finishes another fighter, they run to be the ultimate sportsman. And uh, sometimes I find it to be very much off putting. So it was nice to hear Michael Chandler, Cody, at the post fight press conference, uh, articulate how he felt about when you lose a fight, specifically when you get finished and how the opponent reacts. I'm not a big uh, talk to your opponent after after you win. I'm really not. I actually think it's one of the most disrespectful things in the sport. I think it's I think it's absolutely the worst when you choke a guy out or you knock him out. As soon as he comes to, you start hugging him and kissing him, and it's just no. Like let the man take his loss. Let him let him breathe. Let him let him let him do his thing inside of his head. You know, I, I'm not there to be the holier than thou great you know, God of sportsmanship to pick him up when he's d- dust him off. No, like let him, let him enjoy, not enjoy, but let him, let him deal with what he just went through. Cause trust me, I've been through it too. And I don't want anybody to look at me, touch, touch me, talk to me for about a week. So, <laughs> and then in the, in the main, so this whole perceived sportsmanship can flow like Davison Figueredo is a great sportsman. Like I know that he has a tremendous heart. And when he goes over and picks up Alex Perez in some part, he's probably acknowledging him because it was a quick fight and Perez maybe deserved a longer, whatever. Right. But yeah. bro, like put me the fuck down. Okay. I've been waiting to fight for the UFC title my whole life. I don't want to get choked out and then, you know, have my hand raised or be vaulted in the air. I just, I don't know. I wanted to bring that audio your way because I agree with Michael Chandler. I'm not a fighter, but I kind of feel like if BJ had like picked you up in the air and tried to like anoint you, you would have fucking lost your mind. Or did he? No, he <laughs> he did. He actually did. And I was like, dude, same thing. I was like, yeah, uh, get away from me. Uh, oh, cool. God, cool. I got um, Yeah. So and, and I was like out like I actually got he, he put me out. Like I was not all there when he picked me up. So my legs weren't there. You know, I, I was like prepared to go to sleep, but I was like, you know, right. So anyways, so I wasn't all, all the way there, but I, I agree. I did that once. It was after Joe Stevenson, but I had known Joe Stevenson. We had, we had hung out before we had talked times, you know, so I felt like almost like being a friendly guy, like, Hey man, I'm like, I'm sorry the way it went down. But other than that, absolutely. Give a fighter his space, man. That's not cool. It, it, it's also it's also kind of like you're big brothering him. Like, hey, nice job, champ. Like, go get that. Nice job, Tiger. You're kind of like putting yourself above him in a way. I don't know. That's the way I see it. So it's like, yeah, man, give give the give the dude space. And I'm not trying to call people out, but I even think Alessio De Chirico, you know, was trying to like get Joaquin Buckley's attention even while the man still concussed. I mean, right. so right. I was just glad to see a high profile fighter use that platform to, t- to try to try to sort of get that message uh, out there. But a monumentally enormous win for Michael Chandler. And I'm very happy for that man. Uh, Jojo Calderwood over Jessica. I pretty clean here. Uh, historically great statistical output from Jojo Calderwood and uh, Jessica. I was certainly wearing it on the plane home. And uh, this is pretty special when you get to know these people like John Wood and Joanne Calderwood. And you sort of see what they're the life that they're creating in Vegas. Jojo is this unbelievable stepmother uh, who has a great relationship with Maverick uh, Wood 
and and his mom and it's just all gravy man and uh i don't know i'm hoping jojo gets a title shot i know it's getting crowded at 25 with andrage and lauren murphy and everybody else but uh all of a sudden there are fresh names for for valentina and i like it yeah you know i think jojo um has always shown a certain amount of potential in my eyes that uh, she could be really good and i felt like this fight was one of those fights where she kind of put it all together uh and despite being in in, in some tough moments there uh, was able to keep it together and execute a solid game plan against a tough fighter and I. And uh, just seems like a very authentic and nice person. She's been working hard yes. for a very long time now, coming up the ultimate fighter. She's had her ups and downs. And the fact that she's you know stayed in there and has continued to improve is awesome to see. You said on our show last week, she just has to let the skills go. And she let it go. I mean, she was offensive and uh, output was a big reason why she won that fight. So we'll see how they proceed uh, with the women at 125 pounds. So uh, I can't even imagine all the things that Ray Longo has to say about UFC 257. And the clock is ticking for Aljamain Sterling as well. So uh, let's see if Ray got a haircut and bring on Raymond Peter Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast starring Ray Longo should have taken him off the top of the show today, but I digress. What is going on, man? My peeps. How are we feeling today? Oh, it's great. Feel great. Got the Ray Longo text message during the pay-per-view, which we always appreciate. It's usually about judging. Uh, hair looks good. We have passed the awkward length. Uh, we'll I mean, it looks, it looks better with a hat on, on the podcast than maybe. I cannot take the hat off. So, like when you're when you're washing your hair, I mean, I'd imagine we're going shampoo and conditioner at this point. It's got to be, it's gonna take you a little longer to wash your hair these days than it used to. I would think. I'm, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. I don't, <laughs> I don't wash my hair. How about that? My hair hasn't been washed in a year. How about that? Maybe you wash, your, you wash your scalp though. No. No. Oh, well, uh, well, hey, I secret. guess this is the secret, John. It's a secret to why it looks so good. Uh, and I guess if you're not trying to pick up a woman, then it's okay to not wash your hair for a year. I have, I have the girls in the gym smell my hair. If it ever smelled bad, I would wash it right away. But it, wow. for some reason, it doesn't. Well, apparently Dirties. hair is the reason you have COVID because we got four people here. Three of us have hair. One of us doesn't. And John's the one that has had COVID. So. Not to mention that I've been all over the goddamn world. I've taken 102 <laughs> COVID tests at this point in time. And we've only failed one of them, and it was a false positive. All right, let's get into this stuff. Dustin Poirier by TKO over Conor McGregor at 232 of round two. Holy fucking shit. Spins the martial arts world on its axis, Ray. Um, I mean, you kind of felt like Poirier was a live underdog. So what were your thoughts on the fight relative to your expectations going in? Uh, man, I look, uh, I, I think kind of, kind of summed it up. I'm going to go with that. The inactivity was definitely a problem. Obviously you have to address the calf kick the first time you get there. I, I was surprised there was no switching of stances or a little more movement, maybe making that leg lighter or trying to get it out of the way. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, I guess. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not, I've never really been kicked in the calf. I've been kicked in the, the leg a million times. And, you know, you do get used to it, but there were times where you, you came and get up out of a seat from that. But the calf looks like it's just that one shot. If it hits right, there's no coming back. Uh, it's 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 the living shot of the leg at this point. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's crazy. So I think 
that definitely obviously had a big impact. And if, you know, if, if, if power comes from the floor and you don't have the floor because of, of your, your balance, that's going to take a lot off your punch, man. It's going to take a lot of sting off your punch. And I think that's what we saw. I thought, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing, John, because this Conor McGregor I really like now. I like the guy that's yeah. playing with his kids. I, you know, and you you made a post. You know, he shows up at the press conference. He takes it like a man. He goes out. He addresses people. Nobody wants to do that after a loss, especially a guy who's as high profile as him. So yeah, you know, I, I like those guys that are humble in defeat. I, I I don't know. It looks like he's in a good spot. I I hope he stays there. I don't I don't like the. The guy throwing his shit at the bus and hitting an old man. That shit you could take and throw in the fucking garbage, you know. But right. this guy, he looks like look, sometimes you have kids that changes you. And it, it you know, because you're a father. It's, you know, even me. Sometimes I have to watch what I say. Sometimes like, hey, you know what? I don't want to be portrayed like that. It's not a good example for my kids. So hopefully there's a great thing for him. But uh, will it affect his fighting uh, as of right now? I mean, I have to see one more fight. <laughs> But but I kind of like this guy, but uh, I don't know how he trained for the fight. But uh, definitely, you know, the, the cap kick thing has to be addressed. And uh, I'm sure those guys will go back to the drawing board and, and come up with something. Ken Flo, he said it's like the liver shot to the leg, but you don't need to be nearly as precise with it. And I'm not trying to say that Poirier wasn't precise with it. Right. But it's a lot easier to hit that muscle a couple times or even one time flush than it is to hit a perfect liver shot underneath somebody's elbow. Right. I mean, so I don't know, like this is the elephant in the room. I could do a whole show on this. I feel like yeah. you have to figure out a way if you're a fighter, it almost cost Poirier against Jim Miller. Yeah. Look, I mean, the, the, I don't know how accurate you have to be. I mean, you got between your knee and your ankle, but you got to be down towards the ankle. I think if you're up by the knee, I don't think it's going to have the same effect. But uh, and the liver shot, you know, the liver runs all the way over to the solar plexus. So anything in that vicinity sometimes, you know, is is considered a liver shot, even though it's not behind the elbow. You know, your legs are what's going to deliver you to the target. And if you could chop those damn things off, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. And that's exactly what Dustin was doing. He was taking away. Uh, Connor's ability to move. And as soon as that is gone and you can no longer create force off the floor, you're in big trouble. Okay, Connor McGregor isn't the same guy. He's not landing the same kind of shots. And then Dustin Poirier was able to basically chop the legs off and then cut the head off the snake. So, Ray, in terms of the next meeting, like how do you foresee a third meeting between these two going? And do you expect that the calf kick would be would be a factor? Uh, I think it's always going to be a factor. I think, uh, they will address it. They'll get his movement going. Um, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get that leg out of the way. Uh, even turning into it, I'm not sure is the best defense, but I'm going to, I would guess that Connor would attack his calf right off the bat this time. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it would something like that. You know right. what I mean? I think that's right. the adjustment he makes. Right. I think he goes after his calf also because he's got decent leg kicks. You know, right. you saw in the Nate Diaz fight. Um, I would think that would be the first thing is that you just change the game plan up and you go a little kick oriented in the first round. Right. And, uh, you know, the way that goes, sometimes then you, both guys, uh, stop kicking, you know? Yeah. So, but you have to get your leg out of the way. I don't think it could be there. Uh, and I don't know, I'm not sure checking cause it looked like he did turn into the kick, you know, uh, a couple of times. Uh, but 
I don't know. Look, the guys with those long stances back in the day, I mean, when I was first coming up and even learning Thai boxing, that was almost like a joke for the karate guys getting in that side stance. You would just hammer that leg right away. Right. Uh, then you get a guy like Wonderboy Thompson who's got that stance, but he's moving all over the place. You really can't find it. And then when you go to hit him, he sidekicks you in the stomach. So there are guys that are so talented, they take that away. But for the guys that don't have that ability, yeah, you know, standing in that stance, you are giving away the leg. And more importantly, you're giving away the calf at this point, even easier. You know, it might be harder to get to the to the thigh, but now the calf, it, it, this changes a lot of stuff, Kenny. I don't know if you agree with that, but this is crazy. And I'm not... I'm not that adept to it. You know what I mean? I've come up with a couple of things for our guys, but um, we'll we'll see what happens. But I I, I don't This is new to me. Ray, I, Ray, I couldn't agree more, dude. And and listen, I, I think that uh, sparring, right, you have the shin guards. If someone kicks you in the quad, you can kind of get a feel for what that's going to be like in a real fight. Yeah. The problem with the calf is your shin guard is protected. I don't know many people who, who spar with padding on their quad, right? So when you have... Uh, padding on your shin, they're kicking the shin going, ah, I, that's fine. My shin would take that. I'd be fine. The reality is you're kicking the muscle on the side. You're not kicking the bone of the shin. You're kicking the side of the muscle. And I think once Connor kind of turned, he started figuring out and kind of was turning his shin towards the target a little bit, the damage had already been done. So yeah. now it's just compounding that much more. He was in trouble. I'm telling you, it just takes one yeah. damn calf kick. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And then the accuracy for Poirier with the hands too, you know, changing up the tempo, just, you know, touching him, not trying to put him out with one shot. Beautiful. And uh, Ray, Connor wants the rematch, which I love, right? I mean, there are more favorable matchups for him in the top 10, but he wants to right this perceived wrong, right? Like he wants this fight, probably the toughest fight for him. And uh, I don't know, Connor usually gets what he wants. I think we're going to see it again for the undisputed title. Yeah. Look, man, when it comes to fighting and everything that a, encapsulates a fighter and fighting kind of good. You know what I mean? Like, again, he's humble in defeat. Like you said in your thing, he shows up at the press conference. He takes it like a man, you know, excluding everything outside. That's different. But as a fighter, I think he's always been, he's, he's done everything kind of right. You know, win or win or lose, you know what I mean? So, uh, I think he gets that rematch and I think he does make the adjustment, but I think right now I, I, you know, Dustin has absolutely no fear of the guy. And I think at 55, if he's not cutting weight, it looks like he took those punches better. He got hit. Right. You know, right. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And it looked like decent shots. So, you know, it's Connor's job now to be able to take a hit and come back because whether it was Dustin's boxing that put him away or it was the late kicks that added to the boxing put him away, he's yeah. got to figure it out. But Dustin, I don't believe it. He's not going anywhere with one punch anymore especially because now he's got the confidence and he's seeing everything coming. You know what I mean? He knows that the guy pulls and hits with that left hand. So that's the one problem. And I think he's already figured that out. I want to get your thoughts on Marina Rodriguez over Amanda Hebos, essentially having to knock her out twice in that fight. But before we do some thoughts on Michael Chandler and uh, just big picture, right? I was born in the United States of America. So patriotically (laughs) speaking, right? I mean, U.S. fucking A. I mean, go look at the United States of America's success in the UFC over the years. And I think it's okay to let the patriotism shine through on a night where uh, two Americans, you know, take out a Kiwi and an Irishman respectfully. Wow. Are we well, really? 
Are we going there? <laughs> well, no, hey, man, I know. I just thought it was cool, right? Like, to, you know, it's, hey, everybody else is so patriotic, right? And yeah. uh, nice to see Michael Chandler flaunting the stars and stripes. Is guess I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, listen, you you can't get a nicer guy to Michael Chandler. Now that you have had, had time to interview him and meet him, he's just a ball of positive energy, man. That yeah. guy just, you know, he, I've had the the pleasure of uh, meeting him. He's come to the gym a couple of times. He just exudes uh, positivity and just what a great guy. They they really should embrace this guy and get back. And his journey's been so crazy that, I mean, you got to be happy for this guy. I mean, I don't know. You watch his videos on Instagram. The guy is just perpetual motion. Those workouts are insane that he does. And I do believe he's doing them every freaking day. So, you know, when that fight for him, because you saw him get kicked in the calf, and that was the worst that we've ever seen. He had that drop-off of the foot. He couldn't even stand. But typical Michael Chandler was hopping around on one leg. He didn't want the fight stopped. Yeah. So this guy, uh, they could do something with him, man. I think he's he's just the right guy. I mean, it looks like he's the right guy at the right place. And, you know, the old saying, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. That's right. Holy crap was his first impression phenomenal against a guy that we never saw Hooker get put away like that, you know. So yeah. God bless like, him, man. It's like I, I, you on – you on episode one of the Anakin Florian podcast, just fucking bringing it from April of 2015. Oh yeah. Fucking boss that you are. Hey, so, uh, so I remember back in the day, you know, Pat Barry has Czech Congo literally unconscious. Dan Mergliata makes contact with Pat Barry and somehow it ends up a knockout loss for Pat Barry. Uh, this wasn't quite as egregious when it comes to the referee, but Marina Rodriguez Defeats Amanda Hebos. You know, Herb Dean gets a little bit too close for comfort. It looked like he brushed the top of her head. Uh, she retreats. And I think anytime you position yourself and your forward motion results in the professional athlete being forced to back up Ken Flo, right? To like get out of the referee's way, end of the fucking fight. Thankfully, she was able to still get the finish. But uh, you're really messing with livelihoods, Ken Flo. You can have bonuses go away here. Right, because of an anticlimactic finish. So, Ken Flo, start us off on uh, Marina Rodriguez, and then we'll let Raymond go from there, my brother. I, I agree. First of all, for Marina Rodriguez, I mean, what a performance against Hebos, who was a huge favorite. Uh, we knew that Rodriguez could strike, but man, did she take advantage of uh, that opportunity against uh, Hebos, who was on quite the roll. But, um, you know, in regards to her, Dean, listen, I, I think you're right. Was there a mistake made? Yes. Um, I do think he was trying to go in for a closer look, kind of lost his balance there, yeah, got excited yeah. and, and kind of backed off, was like, wait, I think Hebus is still kind of fighting back. And, oh, man, you know, it, that's a tough one for me. You'd have to make these decisions in a split, you know, a split second. Yeah. I think if Herb Dean had, go in, had gone in there in between them, I would say 100% should have stopped the fight. And I never like seeing fighters take more damage than is necessary. Um, but I, it was a mistake. I don't think it was a huge mistake. That, that, I that's a difficult I one. I, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Pat Barry thing was way more egregious. So yes. You could see like there was a, a stumbling and there was a, you know, he was confused. Herb, like again, was further back. She got dropped. And I think exactly what Kenny said, he ran in there to take a closer look, kind of overran. He didn't, he didn't want to touch anybody. And I'm going to go further. I'm going to blame Rodriguez for that because you don't stop 
until yeah. that referee pulls you off. Yeah. And look, this is coming from John McCarthy, man, with the Holly home fight against uh, the girl from uh, Holland. Uh, uh, what's her name? Jermaine Aranami? Jermaine, yeah. I mean, like, no, the fight, even with the bell, you don't stop until the right. ref. No, I mean, you're right. That's the case. Everybody knows that now. She backed out of there like it was a look. What a beautiful picture, perfect right hand. That's the way to sit down on the right hand, man. I tell you, that was absolutely yeah. pretty to watch. But you don't walk away. And I had a guy do that in a fight. He dropped a guy, and he he backed out. I almost killed him right in the, right in the ring. I yeah. I really, I'm, this is no joke. I mean, I, I I could show you the tape of it, but you don't stop. That's the thing. He tried to do the right thing. He wanted to get a closer look. He was further back, like Kenny said. He overran it. She interpreted that as the fight was over because, you know, she just hit her with a beautiful right hand. I get that. But you do not stop. You finish that fight until that Herb Dean tackles you off of her. That, that's, that's the way it should be. And then we don't have any problems. No question. Yeah, no, I think you hit on a lot of good points. And I think you have to almost learn that lesson, though, right? Because you see yeah. a referee coming in in the all blacks, you know, momentously trying to get in the way. It's like your natural inclination, yeah, yeah. I think as a human being, but yeah, I guess you got to, uh, super necessary, right. Is like, you have to make sure you close the show. That's so, it. Close the show. You yeah. know what I mean? And Herb's done that before. He, yeah. and he says the fight's over. You don't walk away from the opponent. And I agree yeah. with him a hundred percent. And the thing I had written yeah. down for Ray and Kenny, I don't know if you have anything on this. Uh, and this comes from the fans, our Anakin Florian podcast listeners. Sorry, I forget your handle, but so Conor McGregor threw a hook kick four seconds into the first meeting with Dustin Poirier, right? He's not touching gloves at that point. He has his whole 15 seconds planned. You know, in the NFL, Ray, I know you don't watch, but a lot of these NFL coaches, they have their first 15 offensive plays scripted, right? So it was an awkward start by Herb Dean at the beginning of this main event, uh, and that maybe prevented Conor from handling the first 10 seconds the way he would have liked to, and maybe for Dustin too, but seemed to be a lot of uh, fan noise about that. Uh, did you hear anything on that, Ray, or no? Man, I heard nothing about All right, that. Well, there you go. Hey, I'm just bringing it to you, you know. Hey, or maybe you wanted me to bring it to you. That's what I'm hey, doing. You know? Yeah, I, I feel bad. I want to go back and watch it now. So I, I, w- I would have been more prepared. Oh, but, I'm uh, reading this fight clock is brought to you by Darren Till. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. So, I mean, I honestly like the sponsorship was uh, was out of control this week. So uh, was a, I was that a jet lag question by any chance? <laughs> okay, I see. Yeah, not my best show today. I understand. Right? Um so, uh, all right, before we let you go, Aljamain Sterling, I don't know how many sleeps it is. Not very many sleeps before this championship fight against Piotr Jan. Uh, visualization is underway at, at the Longo Weidman gym. He's oh, I love it, spot up there with the champions, Sarah and, and Weidman. See uh, what we did? They were together. We moved them over to make room for Aljo. I love it, man. I make them stare at that every day. I'm, I'm, as soon as I hang up the phone, I grab some meat and I'm going to the gym to meet them. Uh, he's looking really good, but I make him stare at that spot every fucking day. He's in that goddamn gym. He wants his picture up there. He's going to come and he's going to have to fucking, you know, go to war and fucking get it. But that's, uh, every day he's going to stare at that spot and that's what he should be doing. That's all he should be focusing on between now and, uh, March 6th, but he's coming out of the gate. Really good. Really loving what I'm seeing out of him. And your guy, Matt, the steamroller for Volley, got a feel for him. Circumstances took away three fights for him in 2020. So he was ending a layoff that dated to October 12th, 2019. He's supposed to fight Atman Azaitar on the pay-per-view main card, which is a challenge in its own right. 
But then he gets this layered Armand Sarukian, who's yeah. just this five foot seven backyard shed. And, you know, he's a minus 700 favorite. And, uh, you know, just not the challenge that, that Frivola prepared for at all. Much respect to uh, the toughness of, of Matt Frivola. But obviously, Sarukian was just too much for your guy. Yeah, no, definitely. Look, he prepared for a wild swinger, not a really a wild swing, but a power puncher yeah. who, you know, throws punches from his ass. Um, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally different fight, man. Yeah. And I'll say his dad called me and said they offered him this guy. He really didn't recognize the name. Right. And then when I went to look at him, man, I remember I don't I didn't know either of their names, but that fight in Russia with my, uh, Islam, uh, I, you know, I can't, yeah. Yeah. What a freaking back and forth. The oh, yeah. were insane. When I saw that, I go, man, he didn't prepare for this guy. Like, you you, you know, I don't even know. You would have needed a lot of preparing because it was a wrestling-based game, obviously. And the, that guy is really fucking good. But on the other hand, man, for not training for the fight, look, I think he gave a good account of himself. He's not going anywhere. I think he sends a statement. He's not an easy out. No doubt. I mean, that wasn't – it was – it wasn't a minus 700 performance for sure. I mean, he had a good first round. He, I think he tagged him at the end and then looked at those wrestling things break you down when you're not training for it. It's yeah. just, it's yeah. hard to keep up with that. So I think it's a great growing fight for Matt. He'll go back to the drawing board and look, that's who he is, man. He took that fight. He was over there. He took the trip. I don't, I don't really think he gave a shit who they put in front of him, but this was a really bad matchup for the way he trained for the other guy because i i was yeah. there so uh you know whatever but he'll grow from that and i hope the ufc appreciates his uh you know his oh, spirit you know what i mean because he he's coming he's not a he wasn't a dog anywhere in that fight and uh i'm i'm proud of him and i think he made a great account of uh account of himself given the circumstances and if you're Ray Longo and it's fight week and you see that name, Sal, the bulldozer for Vola, lighten up your cell phone, you got to take the call, you know? All right. I'm going to throw a few names at you on the way out from UFC 257. Yeah. And you can tell me who you want to talk about on the like, way out. Uh, like so a Rorschach far. test? Is that what we're doing? Excuse me? Like a Rorschach test? Is that the name of the Kenny test? I thought it was funny. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's, those, it's those blotches. It's those blotches on the paper. You have to kind of depend oh. on what it looks like. Uh, Every, yeah. Everything you throw me, I'm just going to say, because that's what's going to come to my head. Go ahead. Try it, though. Unbelievable. You have daughters. Jesus yeah, Christ. I know. But I think I hope right. the pool is closed. Uzbekistan's Mahmoud Muradov, 14th martial oh, arts. Sorry, excuse me. Just a little habit I picked up. You know, we have show. another show on this platform called Remember the Show. You can take <laughs> that there if you like, okay? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and I like that. Name. I prefer to beep that word out, actually, on the Anakin Plot. All right, part. good. Give me, a, give me the name again. Mahmoud Muradov, 14th consecutive MMA win over Andrew Sanchez by TKO. Brad Tavares, right? One of the winningest yeah. middleweights in UFC history. Can the guy get some credit? Uh, and how about the takedown defense for Brad Tavares? Juliana Pena, one of the meanest oh, women in MMA, a woman that all of us have wanted to fight yeah. for the championship for a long time. And now I think Kenny, six and two in the UFC for Pena. Pena, excuse me, with this submission win. Uh, Amanda Nunes may only have a couple fights left at 135 pounds, but I hope one of them is against Juliana Pena. Uh, Pena, Tavares, Makbu Muradov, who gets the Ray Longo star? I got to give it to uh, the first guy who I can't Mahmoud Murata. I mean, when you can make a guy do the funky chicken like that, <laughs> man, I got to yeah. uh, 
I got to give it. I love Juliana Pena, but I got to give it to uh, what's his name again? Mahmoud Muradov. God bless you. That's right. I'm all confused over here. It's it's early. We got to bring the pronunciation of the week back and have long. (laughs) We're just going to hand you a list of UFC fighters and have you pronounce them. We'll see if you can do better than Bruce Buffer. No, I'm giving it to him because Sanchez really showed great improvement in his stand up. Uh, I like where he was heading, but he just ran into a a bigger, longer, powerful guy. And I do. When your legs go like that, I don't even know how. Uh, he didn't wreck part of his body like that was crazy and he stayed up kenny yeah. which is which is insane so yeah. I, I go if you can make a guy do that i go with him kenny amanda nunez will next defend her featherweight title and not the bantamweight one i don't think she has too many more cuts down to 135 pounds if i'm being honest i don't think she's in a great rush to grant valentina shevchenko the trilogy fight because it's two nil in the series I think Pena is as tough a matchup for Amanda at 35 as there is out there. What do you think about Juliana Pena? Listen, I think Pena is a tough matchup just given the fact that she's someone who is not going to go away. She's going to be trying to win that fight for every second. Uh, going to be trying to go forward, look for those takedowns. Uh, and she's tough from that top position, man. She's got excellent grounded pounds. She has the right mindset. She's as tough as they come. Uh, and if she's able to get those uh, rounds, uh, you know, into the, f- the fourth or fifth rounds of that fight, she's going to be a problem. Uh, no question. But I do think Nunez is, I think 135 is her best weight. Uh, so she's going to be a problem on the feet for, for Pena, but, uh, I don't mind that fight. I mean, Pena has been a little inconsistent. Uh, you know, I guess the last fight, the one right. before that she, she lost, but, um, she's a tough out, man. She's got the skills and I think she deserves it. Why not? Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. All right, Ray. Well, uh, we wish you all the best. We know you've got uh, more pressing business than this. So uh, thanks for uh, the extended time. And I uh, hope you have a great day and a better evening. OK, great day, better evening. All right. <laughs> I'm heading to the gym for a little funk doodle do. Outstanding. And then I'll, and then I'll take that. And uh, if, if you got that hair for Al Joe's fight, uh, it's going to be hard for us not to talk about it on the air. So maybe we we'll get it. Corn rows. Corn rows for Ray. <laughs> Hey, John, I just want to say I'm glad you're back safe. I know those trips. Thank you, buddy. And Thank it's, you, buddy. Uh, great, to be, uh, great to be talking to you today. I All right, guys. You. I will uh, see you next week. All right, see you, Ray. Adios. Buddy. Thank you so Take much. Care. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin floor. Kenny, before I let you go. So I have not been rooting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. I wa- I've been rooting for Tom Brady to play well. I don't necessarily need him to go win a seventh Super Bowl without uh, the New England Patriots jersey on. But, bro, I just have to get your thoughts on this on the way out. He's 43 years old. He's the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. I know he had three interceptions. I know the Tampa Bay defense carried him in a lot of respects in this championship game. But he just left the Patriots at 40 fucking three years of age, right? As a five seed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went on the road and won three playoff games. What else can you say? What else can you say? Another super fucking awfully hard week for the Tom Brady haters. And I could just say fucking get some all of you. okay? because he's the best. People still want to knock the guy and you can give credit to Bruce Arians and everybody else. But it's TB12. That's the reason the Tampa Bay Bucs are in the goddamn Super Bowl. He is one of the most inspirational athletes that I've ever seen compete, period. And we shouldn't have let him go because it was out of respect to Tom Brady and everything that he did for the Patriots. 
We shouldn't have let him go because he's the best fucking quarterback in the game. Okay, right, he right. knows how to win. Period. Stop looking at his age and look what he's doing and look what he continues to do. The guy he looks better physically. Like he, yeah, Benjamin came into the league for God's sakes. I don't know what he's doing, but I need to copy it. And I, need Tom Brady. What the hell? You know, be like Mike. Now it's like, be like Brady. That, that's really what I want to be like. It really is. And uh, I can start by drinking a little bit more water. But it is incredible. And I do believe that for, for all of us, professional change, I think, can be refreshing and can be good. And I'm just not sure there's anything they really could have done. You know, even if Bill Belichick said, hey, man, you know, we will let you coach more if that's what you want. We'll give you the three years, 75 million at age 42, even though. Maybe we don't necessarily want to do. I just feel like he wanted to to push the reset button a little bit and go try to bring another team to the Super Bowl as a personal challenge. It's a lot nicer in Tampa Bay during a football season than it is in New England. And uh, power to him, you know, to Sean Shelby, his cousin and the entire uh, Brady family. Just a really special win. And uh, if I'm being honest, too, I mean, for Aaron Rodgers, man, this is a tough one, man. It's like you see Tom Brady go in there, you know. Uh, and get his 10th Super Bowl appearance against your one. Like somebody said, like, oh, Tom Brady is now tied with uh, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers with one NFC championship. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dude, it's crazy. And also, like, yeah, let's look at the quarterbacks that he just beat in his last two games. It's insane. I, I mean, Brady's the man, dude. I just, we're not worthy. I mean, if you uh, were one of those who like planted your flag on this narrative that he was cooked like a few years ago, I mean, I've said a lot of dumb shit in my day, you know, Um, but I don't think I've said anything that dumb. Um, All right. We got to get on out of here. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrow. Thank you to uh, to Ray Longo, our guest. Uh, So we're going to be back next Monday morning, most likely, and try to get back into a regular cycle there. uh, Now that the football season is over, Uh, don't forget Ken Flo's YouTube channel for all sorts of technique stuff. Cannonball coming with a calf kick video for sure, um, because we need more more knowledge on that. But uh, congratulations to Dustin Poirier, to Michael Chandler, to uh, to everybody else who who made UFC 257 and Fight Island one of the more memorable fight weeks uh, in recent memory. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends about the show. We appreciate that. And uh, there's merchandise anaclorianpodcast.com if you are so inclined as well. Uh, with that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Ann saying so long for now. We will talk to you in less than a week. Until then, go later.